Good morning. Uh, before we get started with today's sermon, I need two special kids to come forward. Oh, you're volunteering. and you think you're special, huh? These are special kids that I have uh, special purposes for. Their names are Abby and I think A.B. Is that right? <laughs> no? You're not A.B.? A.B. and Abby? No. Abe, Abraham. Abraham and Abby, come on forward. Uh, you may know or you may not know if you're a guest or if you're new that Children's Church runs up through third grade, which means we have a little bit of a graduation here, and our kids just don't have enough of those, right? Enough graduations. What are you going to do now that you've graduated third grade and are moving into fourth grade? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? No idea, huh? Have fun. Have more fun. Yeah. Yeah, I have a special gift for each of you, a special Bible for you, and I want you to know two things. One, I am really, really excited and happy to have you in the service moving forward. I love having kids in the service, and it strengthens my preaching, and you guys strengthen me and encourage me every Sunday. And I'm looking forward to being encouraged and strengthened by you in the sermons. Two, you guys have been studying the Bible back there, and I want you to keep studying it, okay? So these Bibles will help you, all right? All right, go have a seat. A couple of things uh, about how we do children's ministry here at Church of the King. Uh, for you guys, uh, today is a fifth Sunday. There are only a handful of them each year. We do take them as an opportunity to do two things. The first of those things is to give our teachers much-deserved, much-needed breaks. But the second is the most important thing, and that is uh, we really love having the kids in the service. Um, we love having them be a part of everything as much as possible. And uh, this is an opportunity for everybody to sort of stretch their legs a little bit and acclimate to the kids being in the service for the kids to be here and get used to being in the, the service with us. Um, it's good for our kids to be here. It's good for me to be preaching with them in mind. It's good for them to be a part of things and feel like the church is invested in them personally. They're not just outsiders that get pushed off into classrooms here, okay? So we can have adult time. Uh, it's also why we wait to start Children's Church until the sermon so that the kids are in here to sing with us. It's strengthening to all of us, I think, if we, when we hear the kids singing and see them engaged. Maybe a little distracting at times when they're distracted, but that's okay. That's part of loving and discipling our kids, right? And think about how much uh, they're strengthened by worshiping with you and seeing their moms and their dads and older people who love Jesus. So there's that, and I just want us to know that we're all for kids in worship here. That's why we don't dismiss our kids. If you pay attention to even the language we use, we don't dismiss them to Children's Church. We invite them to go. What'd you say? We used to dismiss them, but we fixed that. Okay. So kids are welcome to go to Children's Church. They're welcome to stay here. Uh, that doesn't make Children's Church a second-class ministry or less spiritual. My kids all go to Children's Church. In fact, our kids just finished studying the entirety of the Old Testament. 
in our children's church, right? And they're into the New Testament. So in a year and a half, they've gone through the entirety of the Old Testament. And the next year and a half, they'll go through the entirety of the New Testament. And I meant to bring uh, with us, uh, it, it lines up with the children's Bibles that we give you when you have a baby. And there are also like family devotions that are 10-minute devotional books that we have copies of that we can give you uh, that just here's the passage of Scripture here are some good questions to maybe get a discussion started with your family. And it can all be lined up so that you and your family are going through the scriptures together along with the church. And it's pretty sweet. Um, and if you want to know more about some of those things, you can talk to me or to Ben or to Amanda uh, after the service. So anyhow, the curriculum's good. Teaching is good. We need more teachers and volunteers always. And it's good for you to go through those Old Testament stories and the New Testament stories and to be encouraged and engaged and to love the kids. So uh, I think that's all I want to say about that. Also, we have kids' bulletins, and I don't know if you've seen them. I'm just going to come down and seal this. Our kids' bulletins are designed... Uh, you may have been to some churches that there's just like puzzles and games and things like that keep your kids occupied. Ours are designed to keep the kids engaged and to teach them to be engaged in the service. Okay, so even older kids like to use these. Uh, when we started to introduce them at uh, Trinity up in Bloomington, some adults would grab them just because it's helpful. It's helpful. And Danny, yeah, absolutely. He needs help. So anyhow, that's all I want to say about that sort of thing. Okay. Today we're talking about friendships, and it is back to school time, so it's a good time to be talking about friendships, right? Y'all been in the school supply gamut? Nope, not yet. Putting it off as long as possible. You will be hit with it. Amanda is like, I mean, you know, our family is seven kids. All seven of them are going to be in school for the first. She's got a spreadsheet, literally, of all the things. She was up last night till forever. I'm pretty sure she came to bed with her jeans still on. I can't verify this. But she, she came to bed after I did last night, working on school supplies things. A big part of going back to school is back to school friendship drama, right kids? It's disorienting going back to school. It's stressful, especially as you get older. Uh, the first couple weeks of school aren't just acclimating to new classes and new teachers, Right? They're reacclimating to all of your old friends, friends that you maybe haven't seen so much over the summer. Um, I ran into Abby at Myriad this past week. We had a conversation about this, didn't we? Yeah. And so we talked, and Abby has a best friend, and her name is Amelia. And Amelia and Abby became best friends last year in school together, and went the whole school year together being best friends. But Amelia was not Abby's best friend the year before because they didn't have any classes together. Before that, it was somebody else. And now she knows that this school year, she's still going to be friends with Amelia, but they're not going to be in the same class together. So probably she's going to have a new best friend. And we had the whole conversation about all of that stuff, right? And Abby's going into fourth grade, but she knows and understands these things. So we, we talked about it over blueberry waffles and hot chocolate, right? Yeah. All right, more than any other uh, uh, first day of school in my life, the one that I remember is my first day of middle school. Not kindergarten, not high school, 
not college. I remember middle school, the most poignantly, is like a first day of school. For that reason, for the reason of drama, it was the first time that we were going to be like, I went to Plaza Park Middle School, which is what it was called at the time. Now it's Plaza Park International Preparatory School or something like that. Anybody know why they changed the name? I have a theory. My theory is that the initials of Plaza Park Middle School, being a middle school, were unfortunate. PPMS. Yeah. Thanks, Danny. Yeah. Okay. Friendships, relationships are hard, and they're hard at every level, right? And I'm talking to the kids. I'm talking to you kids because you're about to go into this sort of like school drama. A lot of you are. And it's going to be disorienting and it's going to be challenging. Friendships and relationships are hard. We're wired for relationships. We're made for relationships. We need relationships, but they can cause stress and pain and drama and fear and all kinds of problems unless we approach them in a godly, wise, and mature way. So this morning I want to ask, what does the book of Proverbs teach us about friendships? We're going to talk about three types of friendships that we can have and three types of people that you can be friends with, okay? Just think of the sermon as two halves. First half, three types of friendships you can have, and the second half, three types of people that you can have those types of friendships with, okay? So the first type of friendship is a give-and-take friendship. Proverbs 19.6 says this, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. When I was in elementary school, I had a friend named Craig McComb. His first name was actually Monty, and I don't think he'd mind me telling this story. Starting about third grade, Craig became King Monty at school. And the way that he did that, the way that he built his, and he built his kingdom from third grade through fifth grade, and the way that he did that, well, and I'll say that, he, I'll go so far as he leveraged that into being a high-status, popular kid through middle school and high school. But I knew Craig from the beginning, and I know how he got his start. And this was it. Hebrew Elementary used to sell Little Debbie snack cakes at lunch. And you would show up with your bag lunch or your box lunch or your dollar ten or a dollar twenty-five for your school lunch. And not everybody's parents gave them that extra quarter for little Debbie stack cakes. Every single day, Craig brought a roll of quarters to school. And he would distribute quarters to his subjects. If you're willing to jump through the hoops, if you're on the good list, if you're one of his better friends, you're going to get a fudge round or an oatmeal cream pie or a Swiss cake roll today. You're going to get a quarter, maybe two. That's what everybody was after. And so he built his friendships and his relationships around his, his quarters. And it worked. Um, there was a competition to suck up to Craig and to become one of Craig's best friends. So for three years, for the price of a couple dollars a day, Craig McComb brainwashed the entire third, fourth, and fifth grades at Hebron Elementary School to think that he was super cool. And it worked. It stuck all the way through high school. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, many seek the favor of a generous man. Everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. 
We have a lot of relationships in our lives with people we consider our friends that amount to not much more than that. They have something we want. They have something we want. A lot of our friends are simply people who give us gifts, things that we want from them. Those gifts don't have to be money. They don't have to be quarters or Swiss cake rolls. They can be time. They can be respect. They can be validation. They can be laughter. Who was the friend you had in middle school or high school just because they had the permissive parents? Who was the friend that you had in middle school or high school or high school maybe more than middle school here who had access to the alcohol cabinet? Who was friends with the girl you liked or the guy that you liked? Who were you friends with because they had cool things? The ping pong table, the pool. We only like John because he has a pool and is going to have a pool party, and now he canceled it, so sorry, John. Everyone thinks the funny guy is their friend, right? Because the funny guy distributes laughter to everybody. And so everybody's just sort of inclined to think of the funny person as their friend. I was talking to uh, Nathan about a mutual friend of ours named Ben. Not this one. Ben's not that funny. But he's a funny guy, right? And everybody thinks that... Ben is funny. Not this Ben. Nobody, we know. It's okay. But this Ben, everybody thinks that Ben is funny. And so everybody thinks that this Ben is their friend. And on some level, that's true. Because Ben's great to have at parties. Because he's good at telling stories. He laughs at everybody's jokes. His laugh is infectious. Being around this Ben, not that Ben, just kidding. It's just fun. You like having him around. He's fun to be around, so you think he's your friend. He goes with us on our family vacations in the summer with a group of friends. It's the only time I really interact with him. I think he's my friend. And on one level, he is. But it's the level that doesn't rise too much above. He distributes laughter, and I like it. And he's a good listener. Laughter. It can be uh, the gift of good conversation or Mutual boredom relief. You have friends that are at certain locations in your life. You have your soccer friends, soccer game friends, your baseball game friends, your school pickup line friends. The friends that, well, I have to be here stuck outside waiting for 15 minutes for the teacher to bring my kids out. And I just sort of have gravitated to somebody I have regular pleasant conversation with. We have an exchange. We give the gift of mutual companionship for about 15 to 20 minutes. You're my school pickup line friend. Doesn't really go much beyond that. Can be the gift of identity. Peter and I were uh, driving down the road not too long ago, and he pointed out a billboard. And the billboard was for, what was it for? Camo cans, right? Camouflage cans for a particular kind of beer, but it was just advertising that the cans were camouflage. That's all. Peter's like, what the heck? Who buys anything for the part they're going to throw in the trash when they're done with it? I don't get it. Well, the whole point of advertising camo cans is that it's an appeal to your sense of identity, right? It's coming up on the 4th of July. It's an appeal to your sense of identity. We're not rational people. We don't decide things actually based on any rational reason. A lot of our decisions come down to, is this the kind of thing that we imagine people like us would 
have or buy? Or is this the kind of thing that I want people to see me as the kind of person that would have this sort of thing? Does that make sense? Am I the sort of person that likes camouflage? Am I the sort of person that likes to hang out with people who like camouflage? Do I want to be seen as the kind of person who likes and has camo things? It's the 4th of July. I'm not asking myself what matters to me and what I like. I'm asking what kind of person I want people to see me as or what kind of person people like I think I am do. So I like America. I'm a patriot. My version of America is in the America I want to protect is associated with military and hunting and gun culture. That's who I am. What kind of beer does a good patriotic American have? Well, it's either going to be red, white, and blue, or it's going to be camo. And I want people to see that. I want people to feel that about me. I want, people, I want to project that sense of identity. So a billboard that's advertising the part of the beer that you throw away works because it's appealing to your sense of yourself and your identity. Think back to high school or middle school. It's the same way when it comes to a party. What should I wear to that party? What should I wear on the first day of school? Well, I don't know. What will Susie be wearing? I mean, I'm friends with her or I want to be. I want to be like her. I want to be associated with her. I want to be identified with her. And that means I need to signal that we're the same somehow. So what's the kind of thing that people like me or like I want to be would wear on the first day of school? That's what I want to wear. Or what will Sally be wearing? I want to not be like Sally and identified with Sally. So I need to be very careful to not, whatever the case, show up looking like Sally. Both Susie and Sally give us a sense of identity, who we are, who we want to be, who we're not. Okay, tracking with me, guys? Kids, you with me? Yeah, you say you, you say you are. It's all right. These types of friendships, the give and take, are not necessarily bad. They can be, but they're also inevitable. They're part of life. There's a level of relationship that just exists on the level of what do you have to offer me? Some really great friendships can begin there, actually. But they have to grow beyond give and take. It was savvy of Craig McComb to use his quarters to build friendships and make people like him. The Bible actually commends in multiple places the use of money in a savvy way. It's not always bad, but it is sad if that's all that he has to offer. It is sad that it's all, if that's all people want from him. Because when he runs out of quarters or kids lose their taste for little Debbies or begin to value their self-respect over their little Debbies, it's over, right? Things change. We need relationships that run deeper than that. And that brings us to our second kind of relationship. And those are relationships that are centered around a common mission or a common goal. Got a negative example from Proverbs and a positive one from uh, Philippians, okay? You remember this from our Sermon series on Proverbs from chapter one. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason like Sheol. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We'll all have one purse. Okay. We're talking about a kind of group of friends that have a mission. They have a purpose. They have a goal. It's an evil one. Philippians 1, 3 to 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's another mission. Partnership in the gospel. Something bigger. A goal, a common goal. There are the relationships that exist on the most superficial level of what do you have to give me? And there are relationships that are built around, let's do something together. Let's build something. Let's defend something. Let's create something. Let's get a job done. Let's do something together. That can be a sports team. It can be the military. It can be your team or your crew at the office or at work or on the job site. It can be a club of people that have a shared interest or shared passion, like perfecting your smoked meat or hunting or fishing or cycling. Those are a lot of things that are good and neutral, good or neutral. It can also be bad like drinking buddies, like the gang that literally Proverbs is talking about here. Things that push the line, that push into wickedness. But in any case, that type of relationship is built around something you're pursuing together, so it draws you closer together. It ups the investment in each other. Those types of relationships can be destructive when they're built around bad things, like the gang in Proverbs. But when they're built around good things, it's healthy. It's strong. It's as strong as the mission and the goal. And it can lead to the third type of relationship, which is a true friendship. That's what happened to Paul in the church at Philippi. They became united around a common mission, around a goal, around partnership in the gospel. And they became true friends, which is the third type of relationship that you can have. But it's rare. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. Proverbs 18, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the church at Philippi showing up in adversity, loving at all times. Paul's in prison and alone and abandoned by everybody, showing up to take care of him. Not just when it's easy and when there's something to gain, but when there's hard and there's nothing to do but to give. It's uh, Lord of the Rings fans. Yay. It's Frodo and Sam. It's Frodo and Sam. Frodo and Sam are a pretty great example, not just of true friendship by the end of that series, but also how a true friendship can grow from give and take to common mission to true friend. At the beginning, Frodo's the master, Sam's the gardener. It's not, even, it's not an equal relationship. Sam has things to gain from Frodo. Frodo has a couple of things to gain from Sam. And it's not an equal relationship at all. But then they had a mission. And the mission caused their friendship to take on a new character. And through the work of the adversity of sticking to the mission and sticking to each other, they became the kind of friends that became closer than brothers. It's a fun illustration of this exact kind of thing, and this is how it works. And it's why that friendship is so poignant. It's why it's the part of the Lord of the Rings that makes you cry when it's over. Jesus had all three types of relationships. He had the people who came to be taught and healed and fed, and they wanted life and wisdom from him. They wanted to be healed from their diseases, and he gave them those things. They had needs, and he had things to offer. Some of those people became his disciples. They caught the vision. They bought into the mission. They left everything to follow him. Judas thought the mission was the same. 
Turns out it wasn't, so he betrayed Jesus. The rest of the disciples were weak, but eventually through adversity, in time, they proved to be friends. Three types of relationships, three types of friendships, give and take, common mission, and a true friend. All three are fine, but what we want are true friends. What kinds of people, though, can we have relationships with? Or are we called to have relationships with? What kinds of people are there in this world to befriend or not? What kinds of relationships should we have with them? Proverbs outlines three types of people for us, or two, depending on how you think about it. The wise and the fool. And then two types of fool, really. There's the simple fool who can be taught and can grow if he responds well to discipline and correction. And then there's the wicked fool who's the scoffer. All right, so because there's no escaping this world, there's no escaping each of these three types of people and having some kind of relationship with each of them. So I want to talk about these types of people, okay? The first is the simple fool, the simple man. The simple, pe- a simple person only knows how to take, doesn't know how to give, doesn't know how to invest. You can only have a shallow relationship with a simple person. Proverbs warns you against this type of friend when it says things, or against being this type of friend, when it says things like this, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret, lest he who hears you bring shame upon you and your ill repute have no end. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. In other words, fools thrive off of middle school and high school drama. That's what a lot of these verses amount to. Gossip, slander, backbiting, drama, 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 water cooler drama. Simple people can be fun because they don't care about tomorrow. We may like them, but we don't respect them. They don't necessarily lack brains, but they lack wisdom and discipline. They lack the will to learn, the will to grow, the will to be corrected, the will to work. Wise people learn from other people's mistakes. Fools have to make their own. Fools are always running the danger of turning into mockers and scoffers. Mocking and scoffing is self-protection against growth against change, because growing is hard and painful. It requires discipline and correction. Fools would rather have consequences. The wise would rather have discipline. The wise want their pain up front. Fool wants to pay it, to put it off. Fools will drag you down. Simple people will drag you down. They want you on their level. They make it fun. They make it seem cool and fun to be foolish. Because while you're suffering the pain of discipline and hard work, They're enjoying themselves. They're enjoying their lives. It doesn't matter what it is. You're reading and studying the Bible and trying to figure out how to become a godly man or woman. Eh, Watching TV. 
You're going to go to the gym and work hard? Whatever it is. It looks better. It looks more fun. It looks easier. Because it is easier. Wide is the way that leads to death. Narrow is the way that leads to life. God calls us to choose the path of wisdom, the path of growth. So what do we do with the simple people in our lives? We set up boundaries and protections. That's what we do. We give. We're careful about what and how we give. Proverbs warns us all over the place about uh, don't correct the scoffer, don't correct the fool, be careful. Jesus says don't cast your, your pearls before a swine. They don't want it, they'll punish you for it. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. They'll take it as an attack if you try to love them. And they'll turn around and attack you back. So when we deal with simple people, we love them, we give to them, but wisely, carefully, with boundaries in place. There's a second category, and that's the wicked fool. Like the simple fool, he's also just a taker. He gives, but only in order to get. He may have a meaning and a mission, but it's evil and it will devour you. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. That whole passage, don't consent, don't go with them. Proverbs 2, discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Yeah, that's the actual gang, the group of friends who are plotting evil, who are up to no good. They're your water cooler buddies, you turn into your drinking buddies, you turn into your drug buddies, and Proverbs is really clear about how to deal with this sort of person, which is to have nothing to do with them. Say no. Do not consent to go with them. Walk away. There's a third type of person, and that's the wise person. Wise people are humble. Wise people want to grow. Wise people fear God. They're compassionate, they're hardworking, they're responsible. They welcome rebuke and correction. This is what we want to be, and this is who we want to be around. For the wise, conflict creates intimacy because it's an opportunity to improve. It's an opportunity to grow as men and women of God. A wise person knows where he's weak and deals with his weakness. Do you want to be a good husband or a good wife? Who has a good marriage? I want to learn from them. Do you want to be good parents? Who has good kids? I want to learn from them. Do you want to learn how to manage your money better? Who manages their finances well? I want to learn from them. Find the people who can help you. Sit down and write questions. Seek them out. Ask to be told what you don't know. Check in. Resolve to be open and not defensive. That's actually the first level of relationships that we talked about, right? That's give and take. That's where it starts. And that's okay. Not long ago, uh, there's a couple on our church that asked to sit down with me and Amanda, and the whole point was, hey, we just want to check in. How are we doing with our kids? Is there anything we don't know or don't see that you see? They sat, they listened, they probed, they pushed us to be honest and direct with them. They made it safe and free for us to see what we say. We didn't have a lot to say. Kind of put us on the spot. But that's not the point. That's the essence of wisdom is, hey, I'm committed to growing and I want to find people that will help. Sit down and ask questions. 
Who do I think is ahead of me? Who can I learn from? Who may see what I don't see yet and can tell me what I don't see yet? Let me invite that. Let me resolve to not be defensive. Goal is not to look good. The goal is to get better on a basketball court or a soccer field or a football field or in the wrestling gym, in music, in dance, in school. Who excels? Is it the most talented people? It's not. You'll say it's the people who work hardest, but it's not just the people who work hardest. It's the people who work hardest who are also the most coachable, the most willing to learn from people who are ahead of them and who are better than them, the most willing to hear somebody say to them, well, it may work for you like this now, but it's not going to work like this for long. You're going to have to change. We're going to have to break this down. Being coachable, being willing to listen, being willing to be corrected, being willing to put yourself in other people's hands, that's humility and it's wisdom. People who push up against your limits, who when you say, I can't go harder, they say, yes, you can, and then you believe them and do it, it's wisdom. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. The wise know how to give and, to re- and receive. They want the exchange. They want to grow. They want to help people who want to grow. They're on a mission, and that mission is godliness and wisdom. They want brothers and sisters who are along for the ride. They want to help people who are headed the same direction they're going. They understand that iron sharpens irons. You have to have good friends. You have to have people around you who are better than you, who are ahead of you. In order to have good friends, you have to be a good friend. So they make commitments. They help others who are committed to growing in godly wisdom. And that's when you begin to have a chance to develop true friendship. When you are committed to moving in a good, wise, and godly direction and to seeking out the people around you who are committed to moving in a good, wise, and godly direction. And being able to look at each other with humility and say, hey, I need your help. Will you help me? I'll love you for it. If there's anything I can do to help you, I'm here. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Okay, so what are the takeaways today? Have good boundaries when it comes to simple people. Stay away, kids. Stay away from the wicked, those who would entice you to do evil. Seek out the wise to learn and grow, to join them on their mission of growth and godliness. Learn from them how to give. Become a good friend so that you can have good friends. Stick together through adversity and reap the fruit of true friendship. Find those who are committed to Jesus and to following him. Find those who are committed to submitting their lives to all that scripture has to say. Find those who are willing to say hard things to you. If you go down that road, that's how you develop true friends. Stick to each other through adversity when things go bad, when things go south. Be the kind of loyal and committed to other people in their pain that you would like them to be to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And trust God. Let's pray.
Father, we know that we're weak and that we have folly bound up in our hearts. We pray that you would help us to grow as men and women into wisdom so that we can be good friends, so that we can grow towards Jesus. We pray that you would help us to grow together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.